1: with contracts signed and a strike averted the mighty culinary union has secured great pay and benefits for those members for the next five years it's the end of another episode showing what an important force they are in our city but what else do they do with their power Today on CityCast Las Vegas, we go back for round two with Culinary 226 Secretary-Treasurer Ted George to find out how culinary's influence in Southern Nevada affects us all. It's Wednesday, February 14th. I'm David Figler, and here's what Las Vegas is talking about. Ted Papa George, thanks for coming back to CityCast Las Vegas for a little more.
0: Well, I'm happy to be here. We've had uh, we've had a great year, and we got a lot of things uh, coming up too this year. So we're very excited and uh, happy to be here.
1: Yeah, and I want to give an update to everyone uh, who's not following it, but it does seem like virtually all the hotels that you didn't have contracts with have fallen into place. So 100. Congratulations on your success, um, Ted. The the last time we talked, we you and I gently sparred a bit about the tactics the culinary used to get to their goals. And I will say, Ted, you made a very convincing case that when it comes to getting fair wages and protections for your members, it's gloves off. But um, I still do have one question, which is, do even you think that sometimes those tactics can go a little far?
0: Uh, no, I don't think so. I think here's the key is that you have to be measured in your response. We're we're dealing with relationships. The companies that we're negotiating with, that we have contracts, they're not union busters like stations, casinos, for example. It's almost like a marriage. Mm-hmm. And the question is, is there going to be a divorce? No, there's not. Is there going to be a disagreement or a fight over finances? Yeah, there is. Um, so when you've got a very large, well-funded company, then Uh, you've got to make sure that you are moving in steps and those steps have to escalate. And a very large, powerful company also needs to understand there's going to be opportunities to come to an agreement along the way, but they also have to understand that that escalation of pressure is going to happen. It is inevitable. Up to and including a strike.
1: So I want to stop you there just because yeah. I loved your marriage metaphor and I get it. But, you know, sometimes there's boundaries in a marriage that perhaps uh, one party doesn't recognize are really going to impact the other party in a way. Uh-huh. And 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 I want to talk about word choices. You know, uh, this time around, uh, we did see some big culinary protests with signs that were labeled unfair in really big, bold letters. I saw him in front of the Sahara and the stratosphere while negotiations were going on. So let me just ask you, Ted, uh, you could be the bride or the groom here. Uh, but what exactly did these companies, which do now have contracts, do that was so unfair? Use well, that
0: word. There's a le- Yeah, but there's a legal term here because we've got to be very clear that we're not on strike right so, and and there's some real legal ramifications for that so unfair is something that um is a very clear legal term that you know essentially these are informational protests and we're not on strike so that's one piece of it but unfair so, has
1: a meaning. If people are driving by and they look at the Sahara and they go, hey, maybe we want to go to that place. Oh, no, honey, let's not go there. They're unfair people. What The word has to have some meaning. So what does it mean unfair? What, what's you know, unfair? That's the,
0: that's the second part of it. The first part is we've got to be very clear that we're bargaining and we're, we're picketing and who we're picketing in front of because we have to avoid, you know, illegal secondary boycotts. Right. And then the second thing is, is that then we have to send a message that we are in a dispute. And so unfair is just something very clear to the public that says, and what we're saying in our messaging is, is that, you know, we're in negotiations. This company is not coming to terms with what is a fair contract. And so when we say unfair, that's, that's. That's what we mean by that. But here's the thing, and i want to go back to this, David, because at the end of the day, the power of the union is measured in two ways. One, our ability to organize the workers in a unified force for whatever our mission is, that the company understands that the majority of these workers are in, a, in support of the union's fight and support of the union's demands and in support of the union's tactics. That's one measure Mm -hmm. of union's power. The other measure is how well we can communicate, in our case, in the hospitality industry with the customer and doing it in a legal way. um, But that escalates that that conversation with the customer that starts out in a very mild way, which unfair in our term is pretty mild. But but not
1: every customer, not every tourist who might want to patronize the Strat or Sahara or any of the other hotels where unfair was brandished are going to know that nuance. And is it possible that maybe that's the kind of thing that is, I'm just going to say it, unfair to call them unfair while they're still at the negotiating table, while they're still bargaining in good
0: faith? No, we don't think so. And because the idea that somehow you've got to play in the world of lawyers and judges and, and bargaining tables is kind of foolish for an actual union that wants to beat a massive company. The company would love that nothing ever happens out of the realm of the bargaining room and that they can just bring in more lawyers and win um, and spend more money. Uh, Look, unions are never going to outspend a company and they're never going to outlawyer a company. And in the end of the day, where the union has its powers with the members, uh, period.
1: You know, I I get it. I I mean, you know, you want to work and fight hard for your people. Uh, I I do want to move on to uh, other fights that that the culinary union does get involved in sometimes. And, you know, Last time you were on the podcast, you gave us fascinating nuts and bolts of negotiations, and I think a lot of people really appreciated that. Um, so this time, I, I do want to kind of shift gears a little bit and talk about another function of the union. Um, pretty much every observer out there worth their salt calls Culinary 226 one of the most powerful forces in Nevada politics. I, I want to ask you, Ted Papa, George, how powerful do you think culinary is in Nevada.
0: Okay. I think that over a period of the last 30 years, we've worked hard with our members to organize them and educate them that working class issues deserve a place at the legislature. They deserve a place at the table when politicians are running for election. We deserve a place at the Gaming Control Board and the Gaming Commission. We deserve a spot at the Las Vegas Convention Visitors Authority, the stadium board that was created by Allegiant Stadium, for example. But the way we're gonna get that is by making sure that workers agree to come out and take time and talk to workers at the door. I think because of that program, the idea of workers talking to workers that we have probably, you know, I mean, I walked my first working at the union in 1992 for Yvonne Atkinson Gates uh, in a Democratic primary. Um, And we went out and walked and knocked on doors. That was the beginning of it for me. But I would say for the last 20 years, we've made a very concerted effort for each election cycle, whether it's a presidential cycle or off year, to be in the streets and getting working class voters that are considered not likely voters, To vote, I think that has made us uh, someone to be reckoned with and for all the right reasons that I talked about, about putting working class issues, kitchen table issues and things that were just may not really be heard or actually represented on the table. And I, I think the Culinary Union can take credit for that.
1: I am curious about this, though. How do you pick what issues Culinary 226 will get involved with?
0: So, like, we have a very large leadership structure. It might be a few thousand folks. We do regular large meetings uh, several times a year. Um, And we put out kind of all issues and have those folks kind of give feedback. Um, Well, like
1: what? Like, where does that pool of issues come from?
0: Well, it has to come from the leadership of the union. But we poll. We do polling of our own members. Um, Some of it is just social media polling through our comms team, but it could be uh, outside polling, depending. But we also go through and specifically talk to workers face-to-face, person-to-person, table-by-table in the employee dining room to get folks feedback. So that with polling, with the idea of a representative group of a couple thousand that has their group of people they talk to come back to us. And then at the end of the day, we have to make decisions because we can't do everything. Um, And we have to figure out, and this is something that's important, David. I want you to let me say this, this thing about what are unifying issues as opposed to dividing issues. Our nature is a union. We're not a political organization. We're a union that does union issues first and politics second. But we've got to be able to beat a company. You've got to be able to pull people of all political persuasions that are may not agree at the ballot box at all. You've got to pull them together and hold them. And they have to say, yes, I'm gonna get in the trenches and risk my home, whatever, for a strike. Well, then, when we talk about issues, if we want to move the union's uh, agenda forward, which are is worker issues, then you know we've got to be able to come up with unifying issues like uh, our neighborhood stability issue that talks about literally just rent going up 40 percent and the ability to buy a home. And if you're a homeowner. And your family members can't, you know, so how do we how do we get homeowners and and renters working together? Well, it's got to be something that talks about neighborhood safety, not just rent control, for example.
1: The one takeaway that and and I want to follow up on that very much so. uh, But when you said the words, we're not a political organization, uh, do you think that there are elected officials uh, and culture and political commentators right now who are busted out laughing uh, that. When you say the union's not a political organization, because you are you're entrenched in politics, and I appreciate the priorities for sure uh, about your your members first, but I, I mean you are a political organization in a lot of ways.
0: Yeah, but that's a small part of what we do.
1: So you did talk about rent stability, and that was a venture uh, that maybe didn't have the, the consequence or the outcome that you wanted to. And, and I'm referring to uh, Culinary's push in North Las Vegas to impose a very limited rent cap, uh, and you really ran into a buzzsaw. Uh, I remember the reporting at the time said that you were going to appeal the very procedural grounds that it was derailed on, and nothing ever came of that. Was, was that a bad foray for you, or what was your takeaway from that experience?
0: Well, let me just say, because you're asking me whether or not it was a, you know, it was a fail. Did we fail or did we move forward? So, um, And so it's no big surprise that we had the full weight of the North Las Vegas kind of uh, political hierarchy take us on and including do what we think was an improper rejection of, of our petition. But at the same time we're trying to figure out a larger victory because the idea is not to simply figure out rent issues in North Las Vegas. The idea was to get that, the issue on the map and start somewhere. Um, and what happened was, is we found that the one issue in 2022, if you're in a parking lot of a grocery store and you're trying to ask people to register to vote and folks are saying, no, thank you. We don't care about Democrats. We don't care about Republicans. I'm just here to get my groceries. you have a you know what, rent's through the roof. Wait a minute, I wanna to talk to you about my rent. And we found mm. it was the one issue. And then when you move from that to the issue of, and how are you ever gonna afford a home? Um, we found that through that exercise, um, that it is a powerful message. And what we made the decision was, is to just simply expand the discussion and use it as a talking point at the doors. And uh, look, I think we did well. We also did very well in the legislature in, in uh, 23, uh, and the uh, governor vetoed almost every single uh, piece. All the, the all the housing pieces and the rent pieces. All the housing pieces. And so out of that, what we think, David, is that, because certainly the issue hasn't went away. If anything, it's, it's as bad as ever. Um, it'll be another very powerful issue when we talk to working class voters um, to mobilize working class voters to, to, to get to the, get registered and, and get to the polls.
1: Got it. Well, talking about the 2023 session, um, culinary did have some success in one area. And I want to talk about, um, Ted, my least favorite legislative move or political move that culinary has ever made. (laughs) If you allow that set up. Um, and that was the push for a state lottery. Um, why go down the path of a lottery of all things and are you guys sticking with it uh, for the duration?
0: Yeah, uh, look we're gonna stick with it. We talked to our members. Our members were overwhelmingly in favor of a lottery. Um, but the idea of of a lottery and combining that with this this massive shortfall in the state of Nevada on mental health, and especially for, for youth mental health. So there's two things that we looked at this, David. One is, again, we're trying to figure out things that can take on an issue, a real issue, and make real progress. The second thing is that, okay, what are the methods to do that? And we had pushback from folks that said, well, you know, a lottery is something that play preys on, you know, the least— uh, uh, affordable folks that can afford it the least and other certain things. Here's part of our problem. Yeah, It's a
1: low barrier, high access that mostly focuses on depressed and poverty stricken neighborhoods. I mean, that's proven. Uh, that's why it's called a regressive tax. It's, but, a, it's, that, it's a horror show. And yet that's the one that you picked. And, and Ted, I, I just have to get this real clear. I, I appreciate the efforts of culinary uh, more than you know, to support I- uh, an idea of expansive teen and youth mental health care in our community. A, that's not even part of this legislation. I mean, it's something you hope for down the road that this would be an income source, but B, are you, are you just not caring about the horrors of lottery into our system that already has ample gaming options that are as is very difficult to maintain the healthy social responsibility balance?
0: Yeah, look, I, I think you're ignoring the me- mechanics of what it takes to actually get stuff done when you, when you make those criticisms, because they're very easily made criticisms and they're kind of already fabricated and, they're, and there's reality to them. Except that when you look at Nevada um, and you look at the fact that on every street corner, there's you know video poker machines in every gas station and, and grocery stores and everything else. So the idea of when we hear folks that say, oh, we can't do that, that's regressive. And when everything is this, the horse is already out of the barn on that. So the question well, but but Ted, did, Ted, the slot did, machines did, that you're I mean, talking about I are not at course. the
1: counter. Hey, They're understand. not at the counter. There's oh, yeah, not are. the promise of a billion dollars, which is not oh, going like, to happen for anyone. Did, did. At David. a slot machine. And yet not a single that, person who testified at the legislature talked about that. They really just talked about how we need mental health. Agreed, agreed, agreed. And how the horse is already out of the barn. But it's not. Lottery yeah, but, is a different but, is but, a different David, breed. It's a zebra. There's it's a bad things. zebra. It's an evil yeah. zebra.
0: Okay. So, <laughs> okay. You so get the last word. I hear you're pretty worked up about lotteries, David. So here's the thing yeah. is that It's not at the counter, it's right next to the counter because that's where all the video poker machines are in every single establishment you walk into. So I I just disagree. And I think that's a mischaracterization because at the end of the day, the question is, and I think it's about common sense because and and letting perfect be the enemy of the good. At the end of the day, there's all sorts of arguments about all the gambling. You could, any gambling that's available in in Nevada. but But what we're saying is this, okay, based on the environment we're in, and based on the environment of what we're dealing with, we think that this makes sense and um, and we've got to go after mental health. And what we found was that voters overwhelmingly agreed, overwhelmingly agreed. So, look, we're going to stick with it. The legislation can't legally be authored uh, specifically, the way we decided to go forward on it, we wanted to have flexibility. But the mental health is where we're going with this. That that's and and focusing on youth mental health, and we found that that's it just just very popular, David. So it's it's worthy of the debate you're talking about. But at the end of the day, our direction from our members and from their families is that we should do it.
1: Ted, one last question, and and this is a quickie, I promise. Um, I think that the, the city is reveling in the glow of the Super Bowl right now. It seems to be a pretty much universal success. But there was an embarrassing San Francisco Chronicle story that came out highlighting how about two-thirds of the Elysian Stadium workforce are not unionized uh, and some real big horror stories about the, uh, the folks, you know, selling those $18 beers uh, at the Super Bowl Uh, What are your plans for maybe making some inroads at the Allegiant Stadium? And, Ted, I got to say, I don't know how they uh, snuck that one past you all. Culinary is is on those stadiums. How did that one get by?
0: Well, we have about a third of those workers organized. But at the end of the day, the Raiders have responsibility here. Um, They're, you know, fully unionized in Oakland, um, but they have not agreed to unionize the workforce to that extent here in Las Vegas. And we are, uh, this, this goes to kind of the foundation of what it really means for workers to have a right to be in the union, because the law says you have the right to be in the union. That doesn't mean anything really, because mm-hmm. the, the, the penalties are so uh, small for somebody that breaks the National Labor Relations Act and wants to break the law, appeal and appeal and force elections that really aren't fair elections. And it can go on forever. We saw that at the Santa Fe in the 90s where we went to an election and the company then sold to stations and seven years later, and they stations fired everybody when they bought the Santa Fe. So the- Yeah, but, idea, but as
1: far as Allegiant goes is, I'm, I'm guessing it's on your radar, but I'm just curious what the game plan is.
0: Well, uh, what we think, what we're gonna do is now that we've finished these contracts, this Nevada and, and, and Las Vegas especially is changing. And we are going to focus on stadiums, event centers, um, and, uh, arenas because those workers that they're part-time jobs, first of all, they're all Mm part-time jobs. So that's the reason why they've got to be properly compensated. But then you also, if you can work in multiple arenas, and for example, you can get credit for healthcare hours, and they can add up, you can become eligible and those jobs can be good union jobs. They can't be good union jobs just by working at Allegiant. There's not enough full-time work. Uh, and all that tax money went to that with the promise of of great jobs. So the idea is to organize the sector and then those workers can work at the sphere. They can work at the convention center, they work in MGM Grand Garden, they can work at Allegiant, they can work at T-Mobile and they can put together a, a real um, you know work a day and work week and that can support a family.
1: And that would trigger those, those sort of benefits that the union uh, has in Las Vegas, at least traditionally uh, secured for uh, the members who work in the hospitality industry. No,
0: absolutely. So we've asked mm-hmm. the Raiders to uh, agree to neutrality for that, ex- that remaining two thirds of the workforce. And the ball's in the Raiders' court right now. You know, We've sent uh, communications to the Raiders, the NFL Players Association has, has joined the fray and said, we're gonna support uh, these workers. And uh, and we're optimistic um, on- uh, Well, to- when they respond,
1: you, you promise to send us an, a note, let us know?
0: Be Absolutely. First.
1: One of the first?
0: I, I can commit to that, David.
1: All right. Awesome. Ted, Papa George, thank you again for coming back here on CityCast Las Vegas.
0: Thanks again, David. Appreciate it. It's been a pleasure.
1: All for today here on citycast las vegas if you enjoyed the show go tell a friend rate the show leave us a review and subscribe to our morning newsletter you'll be glad you did we'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city till then stay lucky i'm really stuck on the word a little bit and i'm trying to think of like what would be better like you could just call them you know poopy mean people or something i don't even know